Bibles, we're going to go to Psalm 51. And if you have it, just keep it there. That's where we'll be for the duration of this sermon. Uh, we're just going to read the first verse and then we'll because you need to read a verse at the beginning because people don't know what to do if you don't <laughs> we're eventually going to read the whole thing so Psalm 51 and 1 Description is to the chief musician of Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he gone into Bathsheba. Um, interestingly enough, in the French that would be verse one. They do that. It's very confusing when you tell people so they get the wrong verses. But anyways, let's read verse one. So it says, "Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blood of my." transgressions. Let's pray once more uh, then we'll tell you what we're doing. Let's pray together. Jesus, God, we thank you God, for your spirit and your anointing that's here. God, I pray that you would continue to work. God, that you would speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, God, stir us. God, I pray anoint our ears to hear your word. I'm about to say it. In Jesus' name, let your will be done. I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated if you so desire. Um, ooh, bonus notes. <laughs> so this month, you might have noticed already, um, we're going to be focusing on prayer. Normally, when we teach uh, about prayer, we talk a lot about the different types of prayer, you know, maybe how to pray, uh, you know, effective prayer, the importance of prayer, stuff like that. Uh, we've done that several times in the past, and I'm not saying that that's, I'm obviously not saying that's not the right way to do things, because we've done it several times, we'll do it again. Um, uh, but this time we're not going to do it like that, instead we're going to focus on some different examples of these types of prayers in the Bible. Um, you know, I'm always going on about praying the Bible, <laughs> you don't want to pray, just pray the Bible. Um, and stuff like that. And so we're going to look at some instances in the Bible where someone prayed, for example, a prayer of repentance or a prayer of intercession or a prayer of forgiveness or a prayer of, whatever, prayer of deliverance, these types of things. And so that maybe by um, looking at these prayers that were prayed, uh, we will be able to use them as examples um, and learn how to pray these types of prayers yourself. Yeah. And we talked about lament. We kind of went through it and talked about how you can pray these prayers. So we've done it for lament. Um, but when Jesus gave his disciples the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, in it he basically covered uh, every type of prayer and gave them a pattern to follow as a general way to pray. You know, there's worship in there, there's repentance, there's intercession, there's supplication, asking for needs to be met, and all that stuff is in the Lord's Prayer. And it, that's something that we should try. Um, to follow, you know, whenever we whenever we go through prayer in our homes or whatever, um, we'll maybe go through that a different day. But there, are, there's also instances 
in times when we have a focused time of prayer. Like earlier, we prayed specifically for family members. So that's intercession. And so that's, you know, there's different times. Sometimes God will move us and call us to intercede uh, until maybe a, a burden is lifted. Sometimes, you know, we hear of a need and we pray for that. And, uh, and sometimes we need to spend some time in repentance, which is something we keep talking about. We've talked at length about repentance. And it's one of the most powerful prayers that we can pray. It humbles us. It gets us right with God. And it brings us into submission to God. And um, on Wednesday, we mentioned about being smacked in the face with the Bible. Or being pricked in our hearts or convicted. It's the proper word. Um, and our response to that conviction should be repentance. And I also realized while preparing and thinking about this little series that we'll try to do. Um, sometimes I plan series and you may have noticed that we don't finish them. Or something else comes up. And anyways, we'll, we'll try to do this. <laughs> um, we often tell people they need to repent. And we don't really show or teach people how. We just say, oh, just ask God to forgive you and that's all you got to do. And it's, that's it. And that's you know, where we start. But it's the same with intercession. The same with uh, lament and all these things. We just, sit, just pray it. And we don't really show them how. And so... So we're going to be looking at specific prayers in the Bible to use them as a pattern for praying these types of prayers. Does that make sense? Because the Bible is our best teacher. So repentance. How does one pray a prayer of repentance? You've probably heard me talk about repentance a few times. And what does a prayer of repentance look like? What's an example? And thankfully, we have access in our Bibles to one of the greatest prayers of repentance, if there's such a thing ever recorded. Psalm 51. And throughout history, there have been um, teachers and um, you know, leaders in the Christian faith that have believed that we should pray through this psalm daily. And I don't think it would hurt. So let's, before we get into Psalm 51, we're going to set the scene in case you're not familiar with the story. And then we'll go through it and see how we can apply these principles to prayer. This is more of a teaching thing, if that's all right. I'm not going to scream and yell at you so much this morning. That's what we have the last few weeks. Uh, so let's set the scene. So David, David's the one who wrote the song, as we read the little inscription. And he's the, he's the king of Israel at this time. He's been a very successful king. He is, uh, the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. He's a worshiper. He's a warrior. He's a poet. He's um, expanded the kingdom of Israel. Um, if you look at the maps, some of your Bibles might have the maps of Israel during David's reign, during Solomon's reign. Some of them have that. Um, his his kingdom was huge. When he started, it wasn't very big. He just expanded it. He was working for the kingdom of God. He's defeated numerous armies. He's taken over territories. And David's always been a king that led his armies to battle. Ever since before he was a king. You know, David and Goliath, right? He, he led as a child, pretty much. He led Israel to battle. He's a, he's a hero in Israel. And this story takes place in 2 Samuel 11 to 12, if you want to read it after. But for whatever reason, this time he doesn't go with his army. He sends his commander Joab, and the army ransacks or ravages the Ammonites. And David, for whatever reason, maybe he's just tired of going to battle. Maybe he's like, I'm old. 
I've been doing this long enough. Someone else can do it. I don't know why. It doesn't really say, but David stays back and he sends his army uh, and Joab is leading it. And while his armies are out, he's, uh, and they're doing the thing that David would normally be doing, he takes a walk on the palace roof. And if you read the Old Testament law, there were several times that people had to wash themselves to be considered clean again. Or, um, just a cycle of life. Um, and so there was this woman named Bathsheba, who lived not far away, and she was washing herself, the Bible says, um, to, um, to cleanse herself, to make herself pure and clean again, um, ceremonially, and also physically. And so um, she's bathing herself in the privacy, I assume she thinks, of her own yard. Generally, the king's not up to sit you know, on the roof looking down. Um, so she's in her own house. You know, they didn't have running water. Right, watch you outside. Well, what? They didn't have tubs inside. Would have collected the water, maybe the rain barrel or something, and then she would have washed. She was so she's bathing herself, and David notices as you do, and he finds her attractive, and he asks about her, and they tell him that she's the wife of a man named Uriah. But David's the king, so he doesn't care who she's married to. She doesn't care if she's someone else's wife and he wants her for himself and he brings her to the palace and they spend some time together and uh, he sends her home. And a little while later, she sends news to David and says, guess what? I'm pregnant. Awesome. So what does, so David does what most of us would do in a situation that's been brought upon us because we did something wrong. He tries to hide it. Makes sense. Not one person here wouldn't do that. So he calls Uriah back from battle. That's Bathsheba's husband. And he tells him to go home and spend some time with his wife. Try to cover this up. But Uriah, he's a faithful soldier. Because his army brothers aren't able to spend time with their wives, he says, I'm not going to even go in my house. So David... The next day, he gets some drunk, and he tries again. But still, a drunk Uriah has more resistance than a sober David, and he still won't go into Bathsheba. That says a lot about Uriah. And so David comes up with a plan to kill an innocent man, and he tells his commander, Joab, to put Uriah at the front of the battle, and when it gets intense, to pull back so the enemy kills Uriah. And Joab does it because David's the king, and he's... It's his job to do what David says. And a servant comes and tells David, and, he, and then David's like, yeah, well, soldiers die. You live by the sword, die by the sword type of thing. Keep fighting. Don't get discouraged. And just pretends he had no idea. So Bathsheba obviously mourns her husband. And when her time of mourning is over, David's like, you know what? She's eligible now. Legally, I'm going to take her to be my wife. And no one knows anything. It's a perfect crime. Except God knew. And God was upset. So God sends his prophet Nathan to David. And to make a, a long story shorter, he tells him that God knows what he did and he will be punished. And uh, it's a pretty intense story. So don't tell me the Bible's boring because you're not reading enough. Because that story, that would make a great movie. And it's at this moment 
when David is caught, that he repents. And this is when he writes Psalm 51 in the wake of this terrible sin, in the wake of being caught. And we often try to discredit someone's apologies or repentance when they're caught. But if it wasn't for that, most people would never apologize or repent. And we repent because God knows and he convicts us, whether it's through preaching, whether it's through prayer or through prophecy or the gifts of the Spirit or through reading the Bible. And it was no different with David. And this is when he writes Psalm 51. And as we go through this, there are three themes in the psalm. And these are the themes that we can pray when we pray a prayer of repentance. Are you ready? We got it all lined up. What time is it? Psalm 51, 1-7 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and the hidden parts. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. If you notice as we read that part, there's an overwhelming theme and it's cleanse me. And these seven verses, cleanse me, blot out my transgressions, wash me. Purge me, clean me. Repentance is driven by the desire to be clean, by the desire to be right again, to be made whole again, because sin breaks us, sin dirties us, sin stains us. And sin may feel good um, in the moment, but there's a price that comes with it. David had committed adultery. He planned a murder. He covered both up, and now he was feeling the effects of that sin. When we commit Sin, when we disobey God, sometimes we feel the effect instantly, and sometimes it may take a while because we think we've gotten away with it. And then when it all comes out, we remember. But rest assured, you will feel the effects of sin eventually. Even if right now it feels like you got away with it, even if right now it seems like everything's great and no one knows what I did, so it doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, Romans. 6 and 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The price for sin is death. Whether you feel like you got away with it or not, whether anyone else knows about it or not, that is the price for sin. And when David realized this, there was an overwhelming desire in him to get that stain of sin off of him. And this is what drove this prayer of repentance. But some of us are completely content to wallow in our sin and to wear those stains proudly. Especially in today's society. To boast and to show them off or to pretend that they're not even there. And just because no one is saying anything doesn't mean the stain isn't there. We don't preach like this anymore because people get upset. But sin is sin. Whether anyone calls you out on it or not. David had sinned before Nathan said anything. Right? (laughs) So what you do when no one is watching, those things we think we get away with because no one has said anything, that is still sin. Pornography is still sin. Adultery is still sin. And we, oh, I made a mistake. It's not a mistake, it's a sin. You don't accidentally 
do it. <laughs> you accidentally forget something. You don't forget you're married. Stop it. It's a sin. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Fornication is still a sin. Lying is still a sin. Stealing is still a sin. I'm not going to list everything because you all oh, I got off the list. <laughs> we didn't mention mine. I'm good. But you get the point. Sin is still sin. Whether or not I mention it from the pulpit or someone else confronts you, sin is sin. Whether even if other people say it isn't, it's still sin. Even if you post it on Facebook and people say they're proud of you and look at you go, good for you. Just be happy. Live your life, boo. It's still sin. Whether the pastor names it from the pulpit or not, it's still, it's even still sin whether you feel bad about it or not. Sin is still Sin and the wages of sin is still death. So what do we do? First John 1 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleaning again, see. In order to truly repent, we need to understand the severity of sin. There needs to be a desire like David to be cleansed, to be made clean, to be washed clean, because sin stains and sin condemns and disobedience. As my old Sunday school teacher told us over and over, disobedience brings suffering. Little old Desi. Never forget it. Every week. Disobedience brings suffering. It happens. So repentance is driven by the desire to be made clean, to be right with God. But notice what David does while he repents and asks to be made clean. Verse 3. He says, For... I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. He said, I did it. This is my sin. You want to know why people aren't being changed? You want to know why things stay the same? Because we think we did nothing wrong. We've been told our whole lives how wonderful and special we are when something bad happens. It's always someone else's fault. And we blame everything on everyone else. There were two people that committed this sin, but David said, this is my sin. I did this thing. We don't need to be forgiven because we haven't done anything wrong. We don't need to be made clean because we're not dirty. That's just who we are. And if we're truly going to repent, we need to admit to God, I did this. That's what repentance is. David is saying, I committed adultery. He didn't blame Bathsheba for tempting him. He didn't blame his servants for going to fetch her. He didn't blame Joab for having Uriah killed. He didn't blame Nathan for pointing it out. He owned it. He said, I did this thing, and this is how we're going to be forgiven. We need to confess our sins, not someone else's. Don't get mad at the preacher for pointing it out. Don't get mad at whoever... Invited you to do it. You did it. You asked for forgiveness. He forgives. And this part can be difficult. This is the hard part of repentance. This is, this is a challenge. This is where most of us stop. The owning of our sin. My transgressions. He said, my sin. I did it. And we will never have true repentance if we keep pointing the finger at everyone else. And maybe Bathsheba was as guilty as David. Maybe Joab was as guilty as David. 
That didn't matter. It was between, that was between them and God. We are responsible for our own souls. Stop blaming everyone else for what has happened. If we're going to pray a prayer of repentance, it needs to start with us owning our own sin. And that's a big deal. That's a big step. We need to take responsibility and ask Jesus to forgive us and cleanse us. That's the first thing we need to do. The second, he says in uh, Psalm 51, 8 to 12, he says, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot of my iniquities. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. You see what's happening here? Saying, restore me. Restore me. Repentance isn't just feeling bad and feeling sorry and telling God such. It's not just asking for forgiveness. And we've said many times it's turning around, it's leaving one thing and going to another. But when we originally repent, we turn from the world, we turn towards Jesus, we leave sin, we come to him, right? And so David, he's a man who for the most part, he's lived for God. He's known as a man after God's own heart, but he sinned, he failed, he fell miserably. And now he's repenting. He's asked to be made clean, but that isn't all repentance is or does. Sin disconnects us from God, and repentance is like the bridge that connects us and brings us back to him. And for some, we've never been connected in the first place, so the first time we repent, it connects us to him for the first time. But for those of us who have lived for God before and have sinned and allowed things to come between us and separated us, we need restoration. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Sin has stained me. It has dirtied my heart. It has affected everything. It's affected how I act. It affects how I think and how I feel. And my spirit, he says, it affects my attitude. And so when we pray a prayer of repentance, we're not just supposed to ask for forgiveness. We also need to be restored because sin has broken us again. That sin we have committed has broken that relationship with God. And like any relationship, it needs to be repaired. It needs to be restored. And it's been broken. My heart needs to be made clean. My spirit, my attitude needs to be made right. Because when we let sin in, it affects everything. It poisons everything. Our heart, our thoughts, our feelings, our attitudes, all that. I don't know if you ever noticed, um, when we spend some time and repentance, we have, we have one of those services where just God moves and everyone's repenting. When you're done, people aren't as annoying as they were before. Did you notice that? You're not as angry and irritated as you were. It's weird. And if that isn't happening, maybe spend a little more time. Because when we repent, our heart needs to be made clean. We should love each other easier. Our spirit is renewed. Our attitudes change. Maybe some of us need to have a little time of repentance. And everyone else wouldn't be so annoying. <laughs> Does that make sense? 
You ever notice that happen? It's not just me. I just let all my secrets out. <laughs> when we truly repent and we ask God to not only forgive our sins, but to restore us as well, his love and his joy start flowing again. Verse 12, he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Sin steals your joy. Sin condemns and it ruins, destroys and weakens. And the joy of our Lord is our, our strength, the Bible says, and sin steals that joy. And as long as there's sin in your life, you won't know true joy. We like to accuse people in situations for stealing our joy, but the truth of the matter is sin steals the joy of salvation. If you are right with God, it doesn't matter what's going on around you, there's joy. There's peace. There's reassurance. So we pray for forgiveness and we pray for restoration. Look at the story of the prodigal son. When he came home, what did the father do? He forgave him and then he restored him to his previous position. We like to forgive people but not restore them. We will never trust them again. I'll forgive you, but I won't forget, you know. Never let it go. Hold it over their head the rest of their life, but you forgave them. It's, anyways, that's a different message for a different day. But God forgives and restores. He washes clean and he restores. And that's, that's how we pray for, that's what repentance this prayer is. And the third thing, we're okay so far? Your toes are okay? <laughs> 13 to 19, he says, I will teach transgressor, I can't talk at all, transgressors your, thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, so my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Thou, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And you can spend a whole, preach a whole message on that. But Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. And they shall offer the bullocks upon thine altar. This part, so David asked God to um, cleanse him, to restore him, and now he's asking to be used again. At the heart of David was a desire to be used by God. That's why he wrote psalms. That's why he worshipped like he did. That's why he prayed before he went to battle. That's why he asked God just about, just, just about everything except for the Bathsheba thing. I'm sure it would have saved a lot of problems if he did. But being used by God drove him. And it's no coincidence that he was called a man after God's own heart because he literally chased after the heart of God. He wasn't just content generally to sit on the sidelines and do nothing. But even he sinned. Even David fell and he fell hard. But he's prayed for forgiveness. He's prayed for restoration. Along with both of these things is a desire to be used Again, and for some reason, we think that when we fall once, God's done with us. I don't know why we do. We, we, we have the Bible. We've read through these stories. We've seen God restore and use people again. But for whatever reason, it, 
It doesn't happen for us. We think we act because we've sinned once. You know, he's got no desire to use us anymore. I, I missed, messed it up. It's too late. And that's it. You blew it. It's over. Has anyone else ever felt like that? I don't know why we do. And we pray and we ask for forgiveness. And we kind of believe that we are forgiven, but we stop there. We don't seek restoration. We don't seek to be used again. And that is a trick from hell. God wants to use each and every one of us. I heard a preacher preach before and say that we are saved to serve. There's a place and a plan for each of us in the body. But the enemy has us so confused and twisted that we think because we we messed up once upon a time or we sinned uh, once upon a time that that it's over. And there's nothing for us to do anymore. If we're like, you know, we can just come to church and maybe we'll make it. And that's it. If this was the case, I wouldn't be here. If this was the case, Peter wouldn't have preached on the day of Pentecost. And that was the case. Paul wouldn't have done anything Paul did. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. We don't get up here and preach that. But he was, that's what he said. And when we pray a prayer of repentance, we often stop short of this. We may pray the cleanse me. We may even pray restore me. For some reason we stop short of use me because we think we're not worthy anymore. We never were in the first place. God wants to use us anyway. What did David say? He said in verse 13, then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. This man had just committed a huge series of sins and now he's going to teach transgressors and sinners the ways of God. He's going to convert people to God. How does that work? Because David asked God for forgiveness and to be restored, and he believed that God would do it. As simple as that. He asked for grace and mercy, and he expected to receive it. How many times do we pray a prayer of repentance and then get up and hope that it worked? And wonder if he actually forgave us. The next time we pray, we'll do the same thing. We'll do it over and over and over. God, forgive me for this thing. And he's already forgiven us, but we haven't let it go. We're not letting him restore us, and we're not letting him use us. We're just beating ourselves up. No, I don't think anyone, I don't know what everyone's done, but I don't think anyone's done what David did. <laughs> you have, uh, you haven't told me, which makes sense. But David asked for forgiveness and he believed that God would cleanse him. He believed that he would restore him. He said, I'm going to teach everyone else how to do. I'm going to teach the sinners. I'm going to convert them to you. I'm going to teach transgressors the ways of God. Sometimes we pray it and we just kind of hope it worked and we never allow him to restore us and use us again because we keep beating ourselves up over something that happened years ago. We've already been forgiven of. But David said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my failure. I'm going to take what I just went through and I'm going to use it for the kingdom of God. Who better to teach a transgressor the ways of God than someone who's just lived through it? Who better to show a sinner how to repent than someone who has had to repent? He takes it and asks God to use him. And it was 
through that horrible sin that this beautiful song was written. And I'm not saying, let's all go out and do terrible things and see what happens. Let's all go do what David did and use me now. Like, that's not what we're supposed to do. But I'm saying that God can take anything and turn it around for good. Your failure isn't permanent. Your fall is not the end. And he ends it as he does with most songs with praise. He says in verse 14, O God, thou God of my salvation, my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. And 15, O Lord, open thou my lips, my mouth shall show forth thy praise. And so this morning, um, I wonder if we could take some time and kind of pray through this prayer together. Because whether we like to admit it or not, sin has this tendency to, to creep in. If we're not careful, we can just slip here and there. Whether everyone knows about it or, or no one does, Jesus knows. In 1 John 1, 8-10, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So any of us say, I have never done anything wrong. Well, you're, you're lying. Because we all, we all fall. Nobody's perfect. We all sin. So I wonder if this morning, Brother Weir, if you could play um, something. I wonder if this morning we could um, take some time and pray through this, the three things. Cleanse me, restore me, use me. Maybe we've prayed prayers of repentance before, but we stopped short of asking to be restored. Maybe we just asked for forgiveness and or maybe we've stopped short of, of asking for him to use us. Or maybe we've stopped short of praising and thanking him for his grace like David did at the end. Repentance is a prayer that we, we need to pray. We all need to pray. And it's a prayer that we need to pray personally. Now sometimes, you know, someone can get up here and pray and we're like, amen, yes, and whatever. And just kind of tag along, but... This is a prayer that needs to come from us. No one else can pray this prayer for you. Listening to someone else do it will not help you. It may help you learn how, but it's not gonna. It's not gonna get you forgiven. It's not gonna get you restored. It's not gonna get you used. Amening someone else's prayer of repentance will not do. And so we're gonna take some time. Let's just pray through this together. The three things. Or what? Cleansing, restore me, and use me. Surely we can remember those four words. If you can help me. So let's, um, Brother Weir is going to play. I wonder if we could just take some time this morning to spend some time in prayer, repentance. If there's anything, you know, if everyone knows about it, fine. If no one knows about it, fine. God knows. He knows our hearts. So why don't we just do that this morning? In our seats, you want to come to the altar, you want to, wherever you want to pray. Let's just 
pray a prayer of repentance as we start off this 21 weeks of prayer and fasting it's good to get our hearts right with God in the first place and let him work so let's do that today. Amen. 